Hey there, it's uh, Doc Scott uh, Revival Talk, of course, and I don't know what time it is today. I think in the summer it's going to be kind of <laughs> unless I can get my world together. But um, at any rate, um, we talked a lot yesterday about the way the church needs to look, and I had a really good interview with, um, you know, minus a few technical difficulties, we had an interview with uh, Todd Smith. And so, um, and um, Marty Derricott, both from Dawsonville. Y'all know Marty, he's the one that's in the water all the time. And um, so it was just very powerful. Um, just, you know, seeing the magnitude, I think that was the thing that kind of, I wanna say caught me by surprise a little bit in a good way, was the magnitude of what God is actually doing right now in this revival that it's, it's going across the country, it's gone overseas, it's going around the world in so many ways. He talked about how this one man that was in the water um, in, I think it might have been Apopka or Louisiana, I can't remember, but he bought a swimming pool at, you know, a, you know you're talking like a blow-up pool, right? Um, and took it back to Brazil, and over a thousand people were baptized in it. And so, um, it's, it's crazy. And I, you know, and I, I really appreciated a lot of the things that Todd said about, you know, it is nameless and faceless because it really is a liberated body. That's all functioning the way we're supposed to. And I think that's what happens when the manifest sons and daughters of God are on, you know, on the earth, you know, it, it's not that there aren't people on the platform, but I think a lot of times people aren't going to know who just got off of it. And it really is about seeking his face. And so I, I thought that that was very refreshing. It's true. I mean, I've been there um, three times. We've, we've seen that. And there is fire in the water. Just saying, there really is. Hey, Robert. And um, so we're looking at what, this is what happens in revival. This is what revival does, you know, and you end up with these pockets, these melting, these pots, these stoked fires in different parts of the country and around the world. And the real power comes when the, when the scatter starts, where people are leaving that and going back, just like the guy that went to Brazil. He, that's a good example. Somebody gets lit they're on fire, they go back to their own country, and it's it's crazy. And I think the, the predominant thing that you see about this revival in, in water and baptism, which is obviously symbolic, of course, is that it's, um, it's repentance is the front burner. You know, it's Jesus going after the heart. He always goes after hearts. And so there's a real vulnerability, and that's typical of past revivals too. It, you know, in many ways, the baptismal pool is an extension of the altar. You know, but um, in many previous revivals, you would have public confession, people just kind of getting everything that's in me getting out of the way, and me just saying, here I am, you know, you can have it all, I don't have any reservations, I'm not protecting anything, you know, go ahead, you know, this our unequivocal... Yes, present continuous, and you know, just our our raw our raw passion and our need and what holy chaos looks like. Holy chaos and worldly chaos are different, but holy chaos is what forced change 
and revival brings. And I think also with revival, you have this um, unmeasured grace because, you know, the thing I realized when I was talking to Todd was like, you know, he's talking about people who are up against the wall, either up against the wall because of their cancer or because, you know, there's something else needs healing in their body. You know, there's, there's another impetus or motivation for bringing people to the water. Most of it's just sheer desperation and wanting more of God. Why would people wait three, four, five, six, eight hours to get into a baptismal pool? And so, because we're desperate, right? We, you know, and so you've got, you've got all of creation that's kind of gridlocked in a lot of ways. People are gridlocked in places. There's things, whether it be a habit, a sin struggle, an addiction struggle, whether it be a healing, whether it be a financial breakthrough, you know, it's like there, there are all kinds of places where people are gridlocked and they're desperate and they're looking to Jesus to break through. And, and he does, you know, they come to the water desperate. They say what's in their life. They tell what they want and God comes and dismiss people powerfully. And so I think that, you know, that is the power. And ultimately it is about salvation. You know, Todd talked about, you know, the miracles are great. He doesn't want to define it as a miracle um, revival. And in, the, in reality, he has the order right. You know, we seek his face and we get everything that comes with it. You know, he doesn't hold back what's in his hands when we seek his face. So people come to the water. I've seen people come to the water with physical ailments and they ask why they're in the water today. And they're like, I just want my heart right. You know, I, in other words, I'm, my body is second, you know. And so I think it's true. It's kind of like that's where God always starts. I wanted to read um, a little bit out of Hebrews 2 because there is a gap in the church between where we are because if you'll notice Todd is ministering a lot of where revival is going right now is it's going into very open to Holy Spirit environments right so you have manifestations that are coming with it I mean he's like we're not focusing on that I get it but as a Baptist background person hey Michelle he, he's coming into this and he has a huge audience because most of Baptist, Evangelical, most of Christendom is still like not okay with the fact that we speak in tongues. Like we're so past speaking in tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're so far down the road from that. And so the fact that that's an issue in American church at all is crazy, okay? So what you see God doing is in people's desperation, it happened to one of my students. She got in that water. She, got, she gave her life to Jesus. And they asked her if they wanted to be baptized. If she wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she's like, sure, why not? And she starts speaking in tongues. When um, Sid Roth came to my classroom and Todd came, they both came. Every time Sid's come, he's been there three times. The class is speaking in tongues. It, like, it's not hard. And um, it's something that is, it's like in revival, when we talk about the convergence of the ages, okay? In every era of the church, God is introducing things to the palate, you know, whether it's the prophetic or the healing movement, etc. All things have been accessible all the time. In other words, we've always had all of access to heaven through Jesus. I mean, we've always had it. 
But because of where we are and who we are as a people and how quickly we box up, jump back into what's familiar, cling to what's familiar, um, resist change, especially force change. We don't ever want to do disorientation where we have to actually cling to Jesus and hear his voice. So all the things in our humanity that we do as creatures of habit and, and our desire to anchor ourselves walk by the light of our own fire, which we always lie down in torment, right? Right. Um, all of those things we do, which most of those we could say to somebody, I could say to you, or they could say to me, so how's that working for you? Because the irony is, all of the things we've done to protect and boundary and box up and get religious, all of those things are counter to revival, and they're all, they all lead back to the law, and, they law, and they're all deaf. They're all a form of death. And so most of Christendom, we've embraced death. Death through the law. Death through the law. And death through the law and religion. And so we, you see this religious Christianity, and it's devoid of power. That's what, that's what Todd's you know, talking about. There is no power. There's no life in it. But that's why in every revival, you know, one of the many things that God does is he puts things back on the plate. Like, in other words, we had a plate full of everything. We had prophetic, we had healing, we had translocating. I mean, we had speaking in tongues, we had trances, encounters of every kind. We've had it all. Jesus did all of it. You know, remember when the, after he got seated, he goes into the temple he opens the scroll to Isaiah, reads the prophecy about himself, and when he sat down, he sat down in the seat that was called the Messiah seat. And he basically told everybody in there, his very Jewish audience, by the way, this has been fulfilled in your midst. And the first thing they did was want to kill him. He brought forced change into the temple. He brought radical change into the temple. In other words, he came into the temple and he said, guys, everything you've been reading in Isaiah and every prophetic word that you guys know in the book, it's me, it's me, it's me. And here I am, it's fulfilled. And they looked at him, they probably looked at their book and they said, oh, heck no. Why? Because... Whatever racket they had going, whatever control was in place, whatever they investment, whatever they were protecting, whether it be money or power, it's always about protecting, usually one of those two. Whatever they were protecting was so much greater to them. Their hands were so wrapped around it. They were so dug in. They were so rooted and dug and pressed into the ground of religion where they couldn't even move. They were prisoners. They were chained to religion and they were prisoners of religion. And that prisoner of religion looked at Jesus and said, no way, you gotta go. And so what did they do? They ran up to the edge of the mountain, the cliff, and literally, this is another dimension here, he walks right through them. They didn't part the way for him. He walked through them. Those, all of the manifestations of heaven and all of the things that we've been able to access from heaven have always been ours. 
Revival comes, like my neck. Revival comes and puts a lot of that back on the table. So when we talk about the convergence of every age of the church, we're talking about everything that has ever been released to the church is all on the plate right now at the same time. Everything. We talked about the sowing aspect of this, how the farmer goes to sleep and he wakes up and the whole thing, like it's harvest time. That the Holy Spirit has not been idle while we've been trying on religion and locking ourselves tight in America where we basically have a religious church for like, you know, what, 99.7%? I don't know. I'm being funny, but at the same time, a lot of truth. While the enemy was wrapping us up in the chains of religion, which agreed with our shame because of the brokenness in our culture, those two got married our shame and religion got married and he took advantage of the brokenness in our culture and married us to religion so we could earn our way out. And he knew that as a shame-based country who had decimated all of the God-instituted institutions in the land, like marriage, like family, like um, um, marriage between a man and a woman, like all of those things have been in the bedrock of our soil has been decimated and we see the repercussions of it in the generation. But Jesus has got a plan for that. I'm not even worried. My point is this. Jesus, while the enemy has been locking us up and chaining us to religion and he's created pretty much a church that is in the same prison. Holy Spirit has been working in the background all of the time. He's always been working and he's always had the same mandate from heaven for his purpose to reconcile all things to Jesus Christ. That has always been his purpose in the earth. The reconciling of all things to Jesus. Everything comes to Jesus. And in Jesus, everything finds life. It lives. It moves. It, it, it expands. It, it, you know, it does everything. It grows. It experiences. It comes to life. All of that in Jesus. So, you know, when revival intersects time... Everything that's been embedded in that culture is going to get wrecked. And that's why forced change has to be. This isn't like, think about the soil of our country. Dry as a bone with chains in the ground. Nice little analogy. We got dry soil, dry ground, chains in the ground. They're anchored deep and everybody's wrist is in chains. That's religion. How do you bust somebody out of that? With a toothpick? With a, with a garden hoe? No. You get, you get the mega, you know, the jackhammer, right? We get the jackhammer. We get the biggest tools that we can bring. And we have to bust the ground up and bust these people out of chains. And the ground lets go. The water floods the land, makes that soil soft and malleable and people get out so water fire all of those things oil as all of that comes and literally penetrates our land metaphorically literally the land 
lets go of what it's been bound to. The land and the people are free from the shackles of religion. And we come out of that and we come into the place of our habitation, our desperation. We were made for his presence. We weren't made for religion. We were made for the presence of Jesus. And we've got a, we've got a whole culture who is not presence-oriented. That's why what Todd's doing is very important. Because in the baptism revival and the places he's going, he's going to churches who don't know Holy Spirit or baptism of the Holy Spirit. As far as what's on the plate in Christendom, we have so much more on the plate. But 99.9% .9 of Christendom is way back here. We're still trying to figure out back here whether or not we should speak in tongues. Are you kidding you know, I I shouldn't stop speaking in tongues. I should be speaking in tongues all day long. Why not? I've <laughs> I laughed at myself in church service because people were being very vocal and praying in tongues, and I was praying in tongues, but nothing was coming out of my mouth but a little soft sound because I'm so used to that. I'm so used to praying in tongues in a way where it's barely audible, but it's praying. And it's not, and it doesn't have to be loud for it to be effective. It doesn't have to be loud for it to be real. You can pray in tongues and you can go through the grocery store and people can think you're just going over your shopping list. I mean, dude, like, why not? Why do we not pray in tongues all day long? That's the only way I know how to pray without ceasing. I mean, honestly, it's the only way. I don't know another way to pray without ceasing. And half the things that are going on in life, I don't even know what to say about them. So, you know what I mean? Instead of my same old prayer, why don't I just pray in tongues until I feel like that thing that I'm praying against unlocks and the chains fall off of it and it busts out of the, out of the ground and the dry bones start to get something on them and I prophesy to it in the middle of speaking in tongues. I tell it, get up! And walk and live. You're going to live. You're going to live. You're going to live. That's what we do when we speak in tongues. Lord have mercy. Things come to life. We got to engage in the spirit for spirit to come alive. We cannot engage. What religion does is it engages me on the level of second heaven right here. Like we get involved a little bit of demonic, but essentially religion keeps me bound and tethered to the earth. So what happens to on earth as it is in heaven? In religion, it's just missing the part as it is in heaven. It's just earth. And Jesus comes in force change and revival because he's shaking every single thing that can be shaken. And the reason that the suddenlies are coming is because there's no other way to rip it out of our hands. You don't get control out of your hands. Nobody, I don't know anybody that just says, here, I'm sorry, I'm like the kid. You might not be like me. Two sons, one says, I'll do it, dad. Goes off, doesn't do it. The other son, no, 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 not doing that. Later, Holy Spirit gets my heart. All right, I'm going to do it. I kick and scream the whole way, ask my wife. But I always go there. I'll go there. 
I'm going to go there. I'm going to go where Father's going, and I'm going to do what he's doing. I may have to kick and scream. The problem with religion, using our analogy of the earth and religious churches being very dried, crusty earth with chains attached to them that go into the very core of the earth, how do you break that up? How do you break people out of the prison of religion in a ground that is hard? You bring a lot of water to soften, but if you pour just water on top of really dry earth, it just goes over the top and it causes a flood. There might be things that have to come into that soil first. It can't just be obliterated with the fire hose. It has to be soaked, has to be gently there's that's what the Holy Spirit has been doing in the background. You want to that's what he's been doing in the background. He prepares the soil because he knows that if water comes to this really dead, dry soil, this hard bedrock, that if we just do water, it'll destroy, it won't do any, it won't penetrate it. So when we talk about the parable in Mark about the farmer goes to bed and all these things are happening while he's sleeping, you know, the leaf comes up, the branch, the spiral, the whole thing comes to life while he's asleep. The Holy Spirit has been saturating and penetrating this land and our land with his presence. His presence is literally being pushed into creation. And he's been preparing us for revival. He's not being flip. He's not being spontaneous. It's not like, oh, let's have a tsunami wave of revival today that's going to cover the entire earth and is going to be the drunken brawl and party all the way to the end. Regardless of how dark it gets, my kids will be having a party with signs wonders, miracles. They'll be experiencing things that they never even saw in the book, but they know that they're Jesus because Jesus did a lot more than what he did in the book. We're told that, right? If all the miracles. So it doesn't matter how dark it gets. I don't care what's going on in CNN. I really don't. I don't give a flip. I don't care how dark the paintbrush is, how dark the picture gets painted, because when darkness comes in like a flood, light comes in like a tsunami. And and it overtakes. There is no such thing as a darkness that isn't penetrated by light. In fact, there there is nothing that is dark to Jesus, because everything in him is light, even the darkness. So I'm not worried about what's happening. I know that we as the church, Ecclesia, we are rising. And the reason that we don't have time to piddle around and do religious church anymore is because we're going to have to be a prophetic, revelatory body Bodies and local bodies who are living in the place of constant revelation, constant intercession. There's no such thing anymore as life as usual. Because in order to make it in chaos, 
in sustained force change, in the sustained change that's breaking up the earth and breaking shackles and freeing a generation and a land from religious works and calling them into life, we're going to have to be a people who never stop praying. We can't be arguing about whether or not we should be praying in tongues. Just grab the hand of the person that doesn't like it and say, and get them going. Just get them going. They need it. It's not an option. It's not an option to not have revival. It's not an option to not speak in tongues. I'm sorry, not. What Todd's doing is phenomenal. He's going to Baptists and Lutherans and Methodists and people. It's what, it's what happened in every revival. The thing that some people have to have and experience, number one, is their own desperation. So Jesus, they come to the pool because they're desperate, because they've been in pain for 26 years. They go down in the water and they come out of that water. That's what he's doing. I, he doesn't care what brings you to the water. And I don't care what brings people to the water either. I just want them to come to the water. Just come to the river. Come to the water. Get in the water. Because from God's perspective, he's saying, you came to get rid of that knee pain or to get a new liver because yours has cancer. Well, guess what? I'm going to put revival in you. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to mantle you. I'm going to give you a new assignment. I'm going to put you in a new seat. And I'm going to tell you who you are. And I'm going to lock destiny in your heart. And when you come out of that water, you're going to become a tongue-speaking, revelatory believer who's a walking habitation of the Holy Ghost and fire. You will be a walking revival. And to think, they went to the water because their back hurt. The math of heaven is wonderful. I hate math, ask my wife. But heaven's math is exponentially greater. He's not just giving us what we asked for. He's giving us exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ever think, imagine, or even conceive. You're going to come out of that water with a dream in your heart. You're going to come out of that water with the destiny locked in your soul. You're going to come out of that water alive to the Holy Ghost. And you're going to come out of there. If you weren't speaking in tongues, you're going to come out of it speaking in tongues. I'm just saying. Everything that I'll have to get to Hebrews 2 tomorrow. Obviously, I didn't do that. But I will read this other word in closing. Everything that we have need of is in Jesus. Everything, everything. And he's driving, he's been, what he's been doing in the background is he's been literally pushing righteousness and Holy Spirit has literally been pummeling our land, soaking it, hovering with the Holy Spirit over all of our land and over everyone in the land's heart. And he's driving their hunger if you thought you got hungry on your own, think again. He's driving their hunger to the forefront. Because look, back to the land. When I use the analogy, 
dry, crusty land that is literally like thick and hard and dry with chains running down into the foundation of the earth. That's what religion is in, in church. You have to moisten that soil a little bit at a time. You know, when you go in the grocery store and you have the little mist that's being sprayed all over the vegetables, how cute and sweet and all that. Metaphor. Jesus, what has the farmer been doing? The, grand, the, the farmer been doing in Mark chapter 4? When everybody goes to sleep and when he's still working, he's been misting your garden. He's been misting the earth with his presence hovering over it. And if you were to pour out a huge drink on a dead, dry, crusty piece of land, you will, you will create basically a flood because it'll go right on top. But if you begin to pour water into a ground that has been missed by the spring of the Holy Ghost and fire in the land, when you pour water into that soil, it's going to take it. And you're going to be looking at that because that soil is what's in that heart. And when they go underneath the water, you're going to be saying, take it, take it, take it. Take everything. Take it all. There's a huge gap. And there's religious church. And then there's church. Ecclesia rising flowing in Holy Spirit, connecting to heaven, bringing heaven to earth, flowing in, being mantled, being seated, flowing in their gift, flowing in their anointing. That's like a remnant. And then you have this sea of religious church. That's a gap. Revival is going to take that gap and do that. It's narrowing the gap. It's getting everybody on the same page. Streams are coming together. Tribes, rivers, they're all coming together with the singular purpose of what I said in the beginning. Reconciling all things to Jesus Christ. That's why there's a huge, huge, huge harvest. I, I don't... I'm not going to any longer say that I'm not revelatory or that I'm not intercessor. I've, I've decided that there's nothing that I'm going to say that I'm not when it comes to heaven. But I will say this. And then I'm going to end with this um, prophetic word. Um, not mine, but Vince Vinzoni's. It'll give you some hope. Um, Remnant is a church like that. Um, we really are. And there are other bodies like us where, you know, the, where it's a bunch of intercessors. If you walked into our, our service, you would be like, oh my goodness, what's going on? But, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Um, but this past Sunday when, they, when Jamie came back, they came back from Wales and they were speaking about, you know, kind of what God is actually mantling us for. What is the mantle of heaven that's on us? You know, we've gotten seated we're in the seat of our authority that we've had convergence. That's what's happening right now, right? And now we're being mantled. And what is this mantle for? It's for the mandate. 
It's for the mandate of heaven. And that's why we were saying, and Todd was saying, and Jamie's, but we all, we all been kind of clarifying this. That's why the focus isn't on just the supernatural that's happening. We're going after God's face. He's always going to give us both hands wide open, and we're always going to get so much more than what we bargained for. That's the economy and the math of heaven, okay? So the mandate is for us to go into a world and carry my walking revival habitation self into the world, my marketplace, my classroom, wherever you go, wherever you live, you are a walking revival. You carry the entirety of the kingdom inside of you. So if you're a habitation and you're connected to a body who's a habitation of heaven, who's an intercessory body, who's revelatory, who sees that there is a need to be praying continually in the spirit and seeking the mandate and prophetic revelation of what heaven is doing, if that's who you are, then it's going to happen. It's going to happen all around you. It's going to happen everywhere you go. You'll be walking in glory. That's what happens. So, that's the reason. Oh, I was telling you about Sunday, and I'm going to read this word. So, Sunday, when he got to the part about harvest, uh, the reason I started to say this was because I would start off by saying I'm not one of those intercessor types, but then I, I, I decided that I'm not going to say that anymore. I'll be whatever God wants me to be. And if you want to flow through me as intercessor, if you want to flow through me as prophet, evangelist, I'm good. All of it's good. But the minute he said harvest and picked up a basket of fruit, I was on the ground wailing, wailing, screaming, wailing, crying out, Jesus. I was completely undone, wailing my guts out. It's only happened twice. Well, it's happened other times in my life. Not very often. The first time was when Todd Smith came and it happened to me when he showed the video of what was happening in their baptismal pool. And seeing Jesus impacting lives and the harvest and watching lives be transformed right in front of me. Every time I've watched that video, I've, I, 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 I just start heaving. I start bawling and heaving. And that ended up in one of those, you know, intercessory um, things on the floor. My point with that was just that he's mantling us for the harvest. And he wants to put the burden of the harvest in your heart. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do you want it? Do you want the mantle on your life to fulfill the mandate of the harvest? If you say yes, God's going to give it to you. And it won't be pretty, but he's going to give it to you. Because his heart is wailing and screaming over the huge divide that I just talked about. His heart is wailing and screaming about the people who are trapped in religion because their shame and the enemy's use of their shame have married those two to religion where he keeps them bound and he wants a church that's alive, living, breathing, breathing New Testament life 
living. He wants Book of Acts on steroids coming out of us. And that's where we that's what revival does and that's what force change does. It rips us out of familiar. It hurls us into unfamiliar where we're supposed to live. But you can you it has to be violent. Todd always says, "My I'm coming after my my bride with vengeance." Yes, it must be violent because it takes violence of heaven to rip Phariseeism and religion out of our hands and to bring a church back to life. It has to be violent. It can't be easy. And that's another reason why you've been fought all the way to getting seated and in your seat. You got fought and the enemy tried to take you out. And that's why. Because once you were seated and you were mantled for the harvest, you were going to rise up out of that and you were going to be a walking habitation and revival and you would know and have the backing of heaven behind you. That's what the enemy's been fighting. And here we are. I'm going to close with this word. This was by Vince Viozzi. Let me see what time it is. Okay. Um, he says, Many of my Joseph who have borne the trials and tribulations of the prison are poised to become great leaders in my kingdom. Great assignments await you, and those with assignments are great, and with those are great anointings, the likes of which you haven't had before. Accelerated assignments, quick transitions. Um, whatever the catalyst is, the destination is going to be the key. There are places to go, people to be reached with the gospel. So do not set your eyes on the catalyst, what's happening but rather set your eyes on the joy set before you and preach my word wherever you go. What you do, do it quickly, for some of you will move from here to there on various assignments before settling back down in one place again. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Bless you guys. Thanks for enduring with me.